Now, while you're turning there, I'm going to ask you to multitask for just a moment. If you get out your bulletin again, you'll notice that inside there are two inserts. The first one is about the fundraiser for the summer mission trip, a meal catered by Carabas that will take place here. The second is a small brochure. This brochure is published by the International Mission Board. As we enter into the Christmas season, we join with other Southern Baptist churches in promoting the Lottie Moon offering for international missions. This is an offering that has been collected for almost a hundred years where the monies collected go to support international missionaries. As Southern Baptists, we support over 5,000 full-time missionaries that are serving overseas. And we have set an ambitious goal this year. During the month of December, we plan to raise $20,000 over and above our regular giving to go to support international missions. This brochure will give you an, a picture of where that money goes. As you look through it, you'll see specific items that can be purchased. So, for example, uh, $50 will purchase supplies for learning a language on the mission field. Uh, $25 will help disciple and train a national believer. And you can look through and see exactly how much money it takes for a specific item. What I want to encourage you to do is as a family look through this and set a goal. You may see where $25 will purchase a Bible in the language of an indigenous country. And you may set a goal to say, $25 per Bible? We can purchase eight Bibles. And maybe over the month of December, give $25 a week, $50 a week. I also encourage you to do this. Find ways as a family you can sacrifice. Maybe say, we're not going to eat out this week. And so we're going to take that money and put toward Lottie Moon. Or even to get real radical, I'm going to forgo that grande chai tea latte. I know, I'm calling for big sacrifice. And put that money toward Lottie Moon. Begin now thinking about what God would have you to do. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Pray with me. Father, give us ears to hear Your Word. We ask that, Father, knowing that your word is true, knowing that it will never fade, and knowing that it will always accomplish its purpose. So, Father, incline our hearts to cooperate with that purpose. Father, let us not be found fighting against you, but make our hearts cooperative with the Spirit so that we will be transformed, changed, encouraged, convicted, and comforted. 
For your name's sake we pray. Amen. One of the many changes in technology that has come about that absolutely amazes me is how now we are able to follow the progression of any package we have ordered from anywhere in the world. Now I have to confess that when I've ordered something and I'm waiting for it, I tend to get addicted to looking at where it is. Oh, it's, it's, left, it's left the basin. It's left the warehouse. All right, now it's in Fort Worth. Now it's in Memphis. It's almost here. woo And I find myself checking it regularly because it lets me know where the package is. when, And the anticipation grows as it gets closer and closer. We are entering a season that allows us as a church, us as believers, to see where we are in the big picture. We are entering the season of Advent. Now, Advent is a word that means the arrival of a notable person. The arrival of a, a large event or, or thing. And this is a period of Advent as we are waiting to celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ. But Advent is much more than just looking back at the birth of Jesus. Advent is about remembering that Jesus came into the world, God in the flesh, to die on the cross and to rise again from the dead for our sins. But Advent should cause us also to look forward. It should cause us to think about the fact that the same Jesus Christ who ascended up into heaven will one day return to create a new heaven and a new earth. To right the wrongs that are so prevalent in our world today. And that's how we find our location. Advent reminds us that you and I are in between that first coming and the second. It doesn't teach us exactly when Jesus will come back. No, the scripture says no one will know that. But it reminds us that we are in a period of waiting. And for the next few weeks, that's what I want us to think about. How do we live while we're waiting? Because waiting is never easy. Paul says here in this very passage, in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And guess what? From heaven we await a Savior. Waiting's not something that comes naturally for, for many of us. In fact, I know very few people that are excited about waiting. What researchers have discovered, it's not actually the wait that's troubling. It's the unoccupied nature of the wait. That if you're waiting and doing nothing, guess what happens? Your anxiety, frustration, and anger begin to increase. That's why I learned a long time ago when after Jody and I were married and I discovered that she liked to shop and for her shopping was going and looking and browsing, picking up something, carrying it for 20, 25 minutes, and then saying, no, I'm going to take that back and look for something else. And I discovered something, that it did not help to get frustrated and angry and say, hey, just get it back and let's go. That doesn't help. So you know what I discovered? If I will take something with me to read, the waiting's not bad. It's not, really. Because there's something now that I can occupy my time. And I can get engrossed in a good book and can say, take your time. The wait's no problem. It's when we begin to wait without any focus that the problems come. Paul addresses that here. 
And what he does is he tells us three things that we need to know while we wait. And then he ends with a challenge. So while you and I wait, the first thing we need to know is this. We need to know how to walk. Now, I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about how, how we live. We need to keep in mind that we are called to live a certain way while we wait. That our waiting is never passive. And the way we learn how to walk, according to what he says here, is by following the example of others. That's what he calls for in verse 17. Join in imitating me. He is saying, you and I, as we wait, we need examples to follow so we will know what it looks like to live lives committed to Christ. Now, Paul is not being arrogant in this command. It's not like he's puffing himself up. I would remind you that the very same Paul who said, imitate me, is the same one who wrote in Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Paul never professed to be perfect. In fact, here, what do you see him say in verse 17? Keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, it's not just me. He says, you need to follow the model of those who are seeking to live life according to Jesus. Because without realizing it, you and I will always follow the example of someone. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation where we have to figure it out on our own. We will always seek models. So the question is this, not will you seek a model to follow, but what is the quality of that model? Paul says you, can, you have the choice of following him and the other church leaders or there's another option. You could follow the examples of those who walk as enemies of the cross. Verses 18 through 19, Paul describes them. These enemies of the cross are not just clearly marked. Apparently these were people that were in the church that could say the right things about Jesus but their lifestyles betrayed faith. What they lived never professed with what they confessed with their mouths. And so Paul says they are enemies of the cross. He says you can end up following them if you are not careful. He says you don't want to follow them. Why? Well, look at verse 19. Their end is destruction. Destruction here is the opposite of salvation. For those who live as enemies of the cross, in other words, they say the right things, but there is no genuine faith. There is no hope of salvation. There is no saving grace. They have not followed Jesus Christ. So he says, keep that in mind. Well, the question then should be, how can we recognize them? If their words sound good, but their lifestyles do not match, how can we see that? The first thing is this. Even though they profess to follow Jesus, they will end up following their desires with no thought of Jesus Christ. Their God is their belly. That's a way of saying they are being led by their desires. No matter where their desires lead them. Their attitude is, if it feels good, do it. If you want it bad enough, go get it. It doesn't matter what it is. He says if there is no mention of living according to the Spirit, that is a mark that they are simply following their sensations and their emotions irregardless of what the truth may be. Another characteristic is also found in verse 19. They glory in their shame. Things that once brought a sense of embarrassment are now highlighted and applauded. 
if the lifestyle of a person is magnifying something that is clearly sinful, they are not to be followed as an example. We live in a culture that highlights things that are shameful. And he's saying, don't get pulled into following that model. Why? The reason they follow things that are sinful is found at the end of verse 19. Their minds are set on earthly things. They don't think of heaven. Everything is focused on the here and now. So he's saying when it comes to finding an example to follow, choose wisely. Choose those who will encourage you to walk after Christ. Because we all need an example to follow. Few people know the name of Tom Martinez. He coached football at a community college in Southern California. He was very good at what he did. But that's not why folks that are in the know applaud him. The reason Tom Martinez is applauded is this. It is because for the majority of his life, till he passed away at the young age of 66, he worked with Tom Brady of the New England Patriots every offseason. Now, the reason that's amazing is this. And now, this is an arguable statement. I realize that. But there are those who claim that Tom Brady is perhaps the greatest quarterback who ever played. Now, once again, we could argue about that, but I think we would all agree. He's pretty good. So the question is this. Why would somebody who's recognized as one of the best ever need a coach? Isn't that at the point you say, hey, I've got this figured out. No, because Tom Brady knows that you must always keep improving. We as believers need to always seek Jesus. And we need help in doing that. We need models to follow. So I ask you this morning to consider two things. First, are you willing to seek out someone to help you grow in the faith? Are you willing to say, Lord, lead me to that person who will be a mentor to me, to help me to grow, to be humble enough to say, I have not figured it out, that I need guidance, I need help. When I come to these decisions, Lord, I need that flesh and blood person I can talk with to say, what does a Christian do in this situation? Now be aware, Satan does not want you to do that. Your enemy wants you to be convinced you don't need anybody else. It's just Jesus and me. But just Jesus and me is not biblical Christianity. Look through this. You'll see the plurals everywhere. Our citizenship. We await a Savior who will transform our... It's all plural. It's in community. So are you willing to say, Lord, help me to find that person? And then when somebody comes to mind, are you willing to reach out to say, Hey, could we get together for lunch? I just want to talk with you. Now here's the second thing I want to ask you to consider. Are you willing to be that to someone? One of the heartbreaking things is the really a lack of leadership of men and women who are willing to say, my life isn't perfect, but I am trying to follow Jesus. And if I can help a younger believer, I want to. Most would argue by saying, oh, I'm not good enough to do that. Yes, you're right, you're not. But you know what? It's not about being good enough. It's about seeking Christ consistently. Are you willing to be that example? To help coach someone? To let them know that Christianity is that, that walk of faith that says, yes, there are times I'm close to the Lord and times I struggle, but through it all I will keep following Jesus. We need that example to follow. 
And while we do that, we have to keep in mind, here's the second thing we got to know, where home really is. This will keep us from getting pulled in to the attitudes of the world around us. Notice what Paul says in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. That three-letter conjunction is one of my favorites in the New Testament, but it shows a, a hard right turn. That's the way the world's going. That's the way the enemies of the cross are going, but we go a different way. And we keep in mind that our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we identify ourselves. Now, this illustration would have meant a lot to the people at Philippi. In 42 B.C., Philippi was made a commonwealth of Rome. Now, this is why I mention that. Philippi was hundreds of miles away from Rome. But the Caesar, or it actually wasn't a Caesar then, the, the, the ruler, the leader of Rome, Octavian, he said, you are now a commonwealth of Rome, which means you are citizens of Rome, which means you live as if you are in Rome. You live according to the laws of Rome. You live as a Roman citizen should, even though you're in Philippi and you're hundreds of miles away. So to say that our citizenship is in heaven, he is saying that we are to be governed by this, not by this world, but by the kingdom of God. We are to think of ourselves first and foremost as citizens of heaven who simply represent heaven to this world. And then we come together because notice how we need one another in this journey. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a Savior who will transform our lowly bodies. It's the reminder that we are in this together, encouraging one another so that when the church gathers, we get a little taste of home, a little taste of our citizenship. Isabel Wilkerson is a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. She wrote a book entitled, The Warmth of Other Suns. Now, this sounds boring, but bear with me. By the way, it's a great book. She studies, now, okay, it's boring, but it's good, okay? She wrote this book as a study of the migration patterns that happened in the South from, the 1918, from 1918 to the 1960. <sighs> it's a great book. Because during that period, there were thousands that went out of the south and moved north. And she answers the question, why and what happened to them? And this is what she found. That people that moved to, say, Los Angeles out of Louisiana, they were from all over the state of Louisiana. But somehow over time, they found one another. And they would get together regularly. And those people from Louisiana that were living in Los Angeles, they would come together and have some gumbo and some Cajun food and have a little taste of home. She found that up, up north in Detroit, people that had moved there from Georgia, they found one another and they would come together regularly. And when they came together, they would celebrate their Georgian culture and have some black-eyed peas and cornbread. That's what I'm talking about. You understand what was happening? They were in a distant land. But when they came together, they had a taste of home. That's what church is. It's when we come together, we are reminded that this is our citizenship. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that as we love one another, we are reminded of the love of God. As we forgive each other, we taste the forgiveness of God. As we encourage one another, we feel the encouragement of the Spirit. That is what God intends the church to be where we come together as we are on this journey through this sinful world to say you are not alone. God is with you. You are citizens of a better place, citizens of a higher kingdom therefore don't stop in the journey remember who you are we need to know that 
That's why we need to come together and engage with one another. Open our lives. I need encouragement. You need encouragement. I need to be reminded that this world is not our home. So we wait. Waiting's hard. It's long. And we come together and get a little taste of home. It's that encouragement for the journey. Because we have to be reminded of our hope. We need to know that we need an example. We need to remember our citizenship. And we have to be reminded of our hope. Guess what's going to happen? Our Lord's going to come back. You get fed up with the world, He's coming back. You get upset with the way things are, He will make things right. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired, He's going to set things right. That's why he says we await a Savior. And guess what's going to happen when he comes back? This body of sin and sickness and death and pain is going to be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And I will have a glory-filled, glorious body brought about by Jesus Christ. Paul, this was one of the cornerstones of his faith. Look up on the screen. You'll see 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he writes these words. He says, brothers, I tell you this. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable can't inherit the imperishable. You and I right now are not ready for heaven. Our bodies can't handle heaven any more than we can handle being at the bottom of the ocean. We're not made for it. We're perishable. We're corruptible. So he says, I tell you this. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The motto of every nurse. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall not we might be changed, not we may be changed, we shall be changed because this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality, and it gets even better. Look at the next screen in verse 54. Well, go back one. There we go. When this perishable puts on imperishable, this mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. But if Jesus has overcome sin, the sting of death is gone. The power of sin's the law. Jesus has fulfilled the law. That's why he says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know why I praise God about that? Look at that last verse. We, we don't earn the victory. I couldn't earn it. I can't fight to get the victory. It's given to us through Jesus Christ. So as we look forward to Christmas, what we're looking forward to is this. Lord, let it be soon. We should be like children as they await Christmas morning and the gifts. Adults, we need to be living like that toward the return of Jesus Christ. Let it be soon, Lord. You're thinking this sounds too good to be true, but there's a guarantee to it. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The power of God working in Jesus is the guarantee that this will come about. This is not an empty promise. This power to subject all things to himself was demonstrated in the resurrection. Why? Because he showed he is able to conquer death itself. Now, I mentioned I love following tracking things. I had an, this happened the other day. I bought a golf club on eBay, real cheap, okay, real cheap. 
came out of California. eBay got the auction, won it, it's coming. So I'm, I'm excited, all right, I'm waiting for it. Golf club coming through eBay, whoo, this is good. I track it, it's left California, it's somewhere over the United Okay, it gets to the house, I get the box, and there is a hole in the box, this triangular box, and there's a sticker on it that says damaged in transit, and my golf club's gone. I felt the same way. It wasn't there. I called the guy I bought it for me. He said, man, I put it in there. I double taped it and everything. It was like this promise, and there was nothing in it. Now, everything's worked out. I didn't get the club, got my money back. Everything's good. Actually, I laughed about it because I'm assuming it just got ripped open and fell out. So somewhere in a mail truck or a post office, there's a random golf club laying around. Don't you know that disappointment? You wait for it, you wait for it, and then, oh, man. We will never be disappointed in thinking of the return of Jesus Christ. We have the promise of the resurrection. If he has conquered death, we know he will conquer death for us. It is not a disappointing promise filled with empty words. Because it's not, this is the challenge. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Here's the command. Here's the commitment I'm calling you to. Stand firm. Don't get blown off course. Stand firm in the gospel. You've got your church around you. You've got an example to follow. Stand firm. No matter what comes your way, stand firm. No matter what challenges you face, stand firm. No matter what struggles happen. I love the line in the the, um, Return of the King by J.R.R. Tolkien. For those of you that don't follow that, just bear with me while I put on my nerd hat for a moment. There's this climactic battle getting ready to take place outside the city of Mordor. Not Mordor, but of... Um, oh, somebody help me out. Gondor. Thank you. Whew. I'm going to get my nerd card taken away. City of Gondor. Orcs, uh, horrendous things are on the outside of the city ready to attack. The soldiers inside the city have been marshaled. And Gandalf is leading them. And right before the attack begins, Gandalf cries out to the soldiers and he says these words. Steady, steady. You are soldiers of Gondor. No matter what comes through that gate, you will stand your ground. That gives me chills right now. Stand firm. To say no matter what happens on this earth, He is my rock. No matter what happens, He is my refuge. No matter what happens, He will not change. To stand firm. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now.